Fullcast and crew is part of the Chuckler Podcast Network. Other Chuckler podcasts include O Maximus Gluteus, or OMG, a podcast about your ass for your ears. OMG, it's totally off the toilet. On this week's episode, Ben and Giles, the TP guys, tell us how they got their artisanal toilet paper company out of the bathroom and into the hearts and minds of American consumers. Then the Agrawal sisters share their tale of creating Tushy, a portable do-it-yourself bidet, and they demonstrate the product live right here in our podcasting studios. Testing. Testing, testing. Oh, yeah. I wrote, yes. an, in, I wrote an intro. Great. So. Fantastic. It, are you going to start it? Are you going to start it with it. this, like, off-the-cuff beginning as opposed to a polished intro i kind of i do like that a little sprinkle of it before before getting into it my hopes for this podcast i don't know about yours are that it's it's not polished it's not perfect it's not like a podcast where i want the listener to think like oh these guys know everything about everything like no oh trust me don't worry (laughs) don't worry (laughs) don't worry sis chris jason you don't come across that way at all okay are you ready almost this is just the movie intro so okay we'll have to figure out who's gonna say what this podcast is about or I'll do it. Or do it right now. Exactly. I'll do it right now. Great. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, welcome to another episode of Full Casting Crew, a podcast about movies, just as everybody had been clamoring for, uh, where we go down the wormhole of a of the full casting crew page of a film's IMDb. Let me start this again. Full casting crew is <laughs> so much for the uh, un- <laughs> unpolished. Yeah. Exactly. So you asked for unpolished. You got it. Full casting. Last time. Welcome to Full Casting Crew, where we take a film and go down the rabbit hole of the Full Casting Crew section of its IMDb page, uh, where we look for strange appearances, uh, weird connections, quotes, trivia, and all sorts of digressions. I think we get the point, Chris. Et cetera, et cetera. Thank you. <laughs> where Otherwise, we are unprepared. We'll be here all night. That's exactly what uh, I wanted to Trust convey. Me, this won't be the first episode posted, so if anyone's listening, it's because they've previously listened to something else, and they're like, all right, I got another 40 minutes to kill on the train that's stuck between stations. I might as well listen to those clowns again. Today, we're going to talk about Superman... Two. Just wanted to give that pause in case anyone got excited that we're actually talking about (laughs) Superman, the film. Let me read my intro here. Superman 2 is a 1980 superhero film credited to director Richard Lester and with a screenplay credited to Mario Puzo, David and Leslie Newman and Tom Mankiewicz and based on the DC Comics character of Superman. It's the sequel to the 1978 $300 million grossing blockbuster film Superman and stars Gene Hackman, Christopher Reeve, Terrence Stamp, Ned Beatty, Sarah Douglas, Margot Kidder, and Jack O'Halloran. But Superman 2 is also a movie with a fascinating comic book-worthy origin story featuring colorful characters battling outside their boundaries in a tangled web of competing visions and versions. Superman, perhaps most of all among superhero characters, has been famously difficult to transition to the big screen. No offense, Brandon Ruth. And whereas the kismet casting of then-unknown Christopher Reeve worked hand-in-hand on the first Superman movie with a first-class creative team to produce an artistic and commercial triumph, the producers fired or lost most of that creative team prior to the completion of Superman II. Among the departures, the director Richard Donner, the cinematographer Jeffrey Unsworth, 
the editor, Stuart Baird, the production designer, Tom Barry, the composer, John Williams, the writer, Tom Mankiewicz, and all uh, a little actor by the name of Marlon Brando, <laughs> who by the time of Superman 2 was suing the producers, Alexander and Ilya Salkin, for $50 million for violating the terms of his Superman 1 contract. Superman 2, Chris, is really a tale of two movies, the Richard Lester cut, which appeared in theaters and continues to be the, quote, official movie, and the 2006 release of the Richard Donner cut on DVD and streaming, which is a version of the movie assembled to closely resemble the original vision of the original director and screenwriter. And for my money, Chris, that's the vastly superior and only authentic version of Superman 2. To add further confusion, there are also other less widely seen cuts. There's a 1984 ABC TV version. And there's also what's known as the Restored International Version, which is a 146-minute bootlegged cut traded on fan sites. But we're not really going to get into those. I think we're going to pretty much be talking about what we will refer to as the Lester cut and the Donner cut. So, Chris, starting with you, Superman 2, are you conversant in this film prior to screening it for the podcast? Yes, or I thought I was. You're a big I'm Superman guy. I am a big comic book guy. Okay. I think with Superman, um, I know the basics. I yeah. probably know more than the man on the street, mm -hmm. but I am certainly not exhaustive in my knowledge. Great. Thank God. Okay, so, so you thought you knew this movie. So I watched it last night where I think what was the Lester cut. Sort yeah. of the, the Starts at the Eiffel Tower. There were things that I thought I remembered that weren't there. And in mm -hmm. looking at some of the Donner uh, scenes, I didn't That's watch the whole Donner remembered. cut. There were some elements that looked more familiar. But then I also was realizing when looking back into some scenes from Superman, the motion picture, mm -hmm. it was hard for me to separate the right. two a little yes. bit. So by the end of it, I was like, I don't know if I've, <laughs> I don't know if I've actually seen Who knows seen what it. you've seen? Who knows what I've seen? By the end of it, I certainly enjoyed watching mm -hmm. uh, two hours and, and seven minutes or yeah. so of, uh, of that movie, but it was great. There were definitely parts of it that did not hold up and did make me think like, wow, I was really undiscerning as a yes. child. And the parts that I assume Richard Lester had shot really did look pretty crappy yeah. compared to the <laughs> Donner, like especially watching the Phantom Zone stuff yeah. in Superman 2 looked real bad compared to what was done in Superman, the motion picture. But I didn't realize how much I enjoyed the screwball comedy elements of Lois and Clark. Well, I think if you enjoy that, I would encourage you to watch the whole Richard Donner yeah. cut because I watched, well, the, I'll give you a backstory. So I sat down to watch Superman 2 and I made a note of where it became too much for me. <laughs> so I didn't even know there was the Donner version mm -hmm. until I, you know, fancy TVs. Now you can speak into your uh, remote mm -hmm. and you can just say Superman 2 and on your screen will come up Superman 2 and then Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut. And I'm like, that's weird. What is that? But I didn't really have time to get it. The Richard Donner cut graphic looks a little amateurish. So I just mm -hmm. figured it's probably some fan project or something. So anyway, I start watching the Richard Lester cut. And man, it was hard going for me, Chris, right out of the gate. I think you emailed me at minute I, seven. I, I did. And I was just so, I, because I love the first movie. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's so well done. And I would totally defend that first movie to anyone who like is, oh, Superman's cheesy or Chris Reeve isn't great or any of these things that I love about that movie. I made it to one hour and five minutes Uh which is when Zod breathes back the flames that are being, I think, flamethrowed at him right. from the army or something. And I just turned it off. 
I was just like, I, I, you didn't even make it to the end. I know. I mean, no, I made it to the end of the Richard Donner cut, which I then started and was so much, I can't even express to you how at home and calm I was right off the bat in the Donner cut, because it's so vastly superior in terms of the way the story unfolds from the very beginning. But the movie starts, I think in a, in a better fashion in the Donner cut with Lois Lane in the office looking for what her next story is and seeing a picture of Superman and then looking at Clark Kent and then drawing glasses and a hat and a trench coat on the picture of Superman in the newspaper and having it resemble the person standing in front of her. And that begins right. the process of her testing whether or not he's Superman. Mm-hmm. Morning, How are you today? Oh, I'm just super, thanks. Morning, Mr. White. I'm super. Yeah, 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 yeah. Morning, 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 morning. You're late, Kent. I know, I'm sorry, Mr. White. I uh, um, got st- stuck in traffic. Oh, that's no one. Excuse me? I mean, as opposed to uh, I was stuck in a phone booth or I got locked into the men's bathroom or something like that. What are you talking about? I'm sorry that I was late. You two want a bigger. That's great. I have just the assignment for you. And it also starts with what I think everyone loves about Superman, these, these two Superman movies, or three, I guess, if we have to include the third. But the interplay between Superman and Lois Lane, the fact that the actors are really playing a total of four characters. Lois Lane plays one character when she's opposite who she thinks Superman is, and she plays another character when she's opposite Clark Kent. Same thing for Christopher Reeve. He's playing one character when he's Clark Kent, and he's playing Superman when he's Superman. So anyway, I I watched the entirety of it then in the Donner Cut because only afterwards did I do all the sort of reading and the research to understand what it is that I'm responding to. And Mm -hmm. what it is that I'm responding to in the Donner Cut that I was not getting in the Lester Cut is verisimilitude. And that was Donner's catchphrase on both of the shoots for these films because they were both largely shot at the same time, which is part of the story we can get into. So I did not finish the Lester cut until after I watched the Donner cut. And then I wanted to go back and and sort of really see where they differed, um, mostly in the beginning, the middle, and the end, and some stuff along the way. Um, And like you said, a lot of the really – to me, hacky slapstick stuff is the Lester stuff. Right. I really, really liked the Donner cut. I thought it was true to the character. I thought it was true to the story. I thought it was true to the universe that had been created and is a much superior film, which isn't surprising because he's, you know, Donner, uh, Mankiewicz, like these were the guys who made that first movie great. And it is great. And the second movie the Lester cut is a cynical exercise perpetrated upon the fan base by the producers. And it has to be said, these two producers, although they did a great job in marshalling this original pool of talent, mm-hmm. you know, they're kind of famous for yeah. hacking together a lot of these pictures and shooting two at once and and um, I guess alienating of, a lot of the creative team. Part of the reason why I didn't um, think that the Donner cut would be that different or sort of because – like you said, they shot most of them concurrently. Yeah, yeah. And so I, and I had the impression from reading about it that he had shot most of it. 75%, they said. Which seemed like, well. Most of the character scenes, all yeah. the big character scenes. So, I was, so to me, it didn't seem like, yeah, obviously, I, I know that a director and an editor, yeah. they do so much in the post Like, I didn't mean to say that. But I just, I assumed that the structure and everything would be so similar mm-hmm. and, uh, you know what I mean? That that sort yeah. of Richard Lester was just sort of getting it across the finish mm-hmm. line. Um, you know, you called it cynical, and and certainly mm-hmm. on the the uh, Salkind or Salkind Salkind's yeah. part, I'm sure it was. But I will say, in Richard Lester's, I don't know, I guess defense. Mm, this I want to hear. He seemed to have his own point of view and his <laughs> own aesthetic. 
Wow, that that right there is the difference between you and I. He certainly has his POV, which, you know, and look, which and is really lost once we get out of the era of like Three Stooges. Well, you know, like that give level him a little bit more credit. He at least got through the Beatles. He made help. He made help, yeah. Um, well, that was pretty funny to sort of look back and back and say, what has this guy done? And to, in reading the descriptions that his background, people thought, was in comedy. Yeah. And uh, specifically in this kind of 60s type of comedy, which I have to say, to me, is death. Like, yeah. the 60s seems like yeah. the least funny. Yeah. The the most highly charged, but least yeah. actually yeah. funny uh, decade in history. Hmm. Hmm. But all of this is to say, all of this, all this is, to, is say to say you were that you were, I was trying to look, rich, I was trying to be like, okay, well, okay, so is, you don't like that, but then you like the Richard Lester, it, like all of that Tower I, scene. It didn't seem particularly so cynical hacky and it, stupid. It did seem hacky and stupid in a, in a sort of high school musical sort of way, which is what I was getting at, which yeah, is one of the professionals. Strange, this is a professional because movie. one of the things that I, there were elements of it that were sort of hacky, but also seemed theatrical. Like a movie musical. Like, for example, when- Chris, when he, can't we just call it bad when it's bad? Do we have to go this far to defend it? It's not a, it's not a, yes, if it was a high, if high school kids made <laughs> Superman 2, we would defend it and say, hey, yeah, man, This is what they should have done in uh, Rushmore. But I'm sorry, the professionals involved, the Salkinds, they're the ones who deserve the blame for what was done to Richard Donner's vision yes. for this first yes. two Superman films. Richard Donner was hired to direct two films. Yes. And he did set out to direct two films. And to save money and to exert control and to get out of paying Marlon Brando what they'd agreed to pay him, mm -hmm. these producers really cynically destroyed the product that would become the movie. And, and it's only until 2006 when an editor who's working on remastering the, you know, original movie says, Hey, you know, we could, we could put together the, the movie Richard Donner was going to make. Right. They found all of yeah. this footage that he yeah. had shot that hadn't right. been used. And, and then like, we have enough to get talk about the cynical. line. You know, when you were talking about maybe assuming that like, there wouldn't be that big of a difference between the, the Lester cut and the Donner cut, because if you read about it, it says, you know, Donner shot 75% of the movie. But the cynical part is I read something that said, for Richard Lester to get credit as the director, he had to shoot at least 75% yeah. of the movie. So that's why he went back and redid scenes that they already had. And you can actually see in the Donner cut versus the Lester cut, it's the same scene. It's just totally shot again. Yeah. So I think at the end when, um, when Zod and the henchmen come in and break up the Daily Planet office, mm -hmm. um, that exists in both movies, but it's not the same scene in both movies. Yes. Yeah. Again, which makes me uh, more excited to see the Donner yeah. cut. From what little I knew, I just assumed that it, he had cobbled it together. Yeah. But no. It's hard to talk about Superman 2 without talking about Superman, the first movie. Yeah. Easy, miss. I've got you. you you've got me? Who's got you? <laughs> because it was shot all at the same time, or largely at the same time, and because you can tell there's a spirit that I think infuses the first Superman movie and infuses the scenes from the Donner shoot in Superman 2 that I think is lacking. And when you certainly hear people like Gene Hackman talk in these featurettes from the DVD release, like he's being extremely diplomatic, mm -hmm. but he's still saying the producers fucked up the movie. Yeah. And I disagreed with their decisions. And Margot Kidder, you hear saying, everyone was heartbroken that Donner wasn't coming back, that he was fired. Yes. Um, and, you know, Jeffrey Unsworth, I mean, a legendary cinematographer, 
Granted, he died, so it's not like they fired him, but he died after the shooting of the first movie. Right. Um, Stuart Baird gr- did a great job editing the first Superman movie. The production designer also died. That production designer And it was, was- amazing. In the first yes. film, like when you look at those three sections, I don't know, I think in that featurette where they show the three different looks, the Krypton, the Smallville, mm-hmm. and the Metropolis sections, it's it's really amazing when you think of the production design, yeah. how well, how beautiful it was photographed, especially in the Smallville sequences. So they or, lost I, a lot of that. Yeah. No, and you're 100% right. And I, I keep, it's the producers who did the cynical thing. He got jobbed in to do what Absolutely. he thought. Yeah, no, I don't that, have any, that's I'm all not that I'm angry at Richard Lester. I'm just well, saying. this is how it's coming across. Well- what I'm angry about, to the extent that I'm angry about a superhero movie, <laughs> you know, what I'm angry about is I think that if we're going to talk about movies in depth, like, it's just an entertainment. I don't ascribe it to the highest levels of art. However, what I think I'm interested in, and I know that you're potentially interested in, and what we both work in in terms of our field is the business of entertainment, I think, is endlessly fascinating to me. The stories about how things get yeah. made and how things don't get made. And this one has some amazing almost casting, which we can get into because I know we like to discuss that. But the story of kind of how you pull together all these different elements and like maybe one time out of a thousand, maybe you catch that lightning in a bottle and you end up allowing something good to emerge from all the pressures that come to bear on making a movie for the kind of money that we're talking about here. And in some ways, that's even more interesting when you're talking about a piece of entertainment. Yes. When something that yeah, is, is that? made to be, a, when something is made to be a product, you look at all of it in that kind of transactional way, when it does transcend and become something better, to me, that's like magic. You don't expect it. That's something that should have just been, this was just yeah. meant to be just another thing. But because lightning happened to strike, especially because there's so many problems to solve mm-hmm. in getting there. Yeah. And for example, when Richard Donner was making Superman, mm-hmm. the motion picture, and this idea of like, okay, we have a this comic book superhero. It sounds silly. How are we going to translate it? Yeah. For him to mm-hmm. find the verisimilitude, find that balance of the cartoonish, the unbelievable, and yet ground it in something, that's to me is what, um, when these things become magic. Well, and what I'm saying is, I think to me, it's very clear when you when you watch the movies and when you when you do the reading and you read all the backstories of everything, it's very clear to me that that thing you just talked about really comes from a very few key people. And I think the two most key people that contributed that thing that you just described Mm -hmm. very eloquently are Tom Mankiewicz and Richard Donner. I think Tom Mankiewicz as a writer came aboard. That's why I was, when I was reading my little intro, you probably missed the very subtle irony I was putting on the inflection when I said the superhero film was credited to director Richard Lester and credited to the writers Mario Puzo, David and Leslie Newman and Tom Mankiewicz. Puzo turned in something like a 500-page screenplay for, yeah. to cover the two movies, which I think an average screenplay is, uh, what, 114 pages or something, something like, like that, that. Yeah. So he had five movies worth of material and and then moved on to other things. And they brought in David and Leslie Newman, a married couple, to, to sort of work it into shape. And then Tom Mankiewicz kind of came in, and I think Tom Mankiewicz gave it that gave it the comedy, but not the hacky comedy. Mm -hmm. He gave it the comedy that I think we love about the first Superman movie. Um, And so brilliantly embodied by Margot Kidder and Christopher Reeve. And and, and in some of the the featurettes, I was fascinated to see some of the other actresses trying out for the part of Lois Lane, Ann Archer. um, Leslie Ann Warren. Leslie Ann Warren. Um, It's so fascinating. It's like, I would love to see that in so many movies where- um, these are good actresses yeah. and they're just 
maybe they could have done the part, but man, talk about alchemy. Like you see Margot Kidder and like they have her screen test. Yeah. And it is like, it is what you see in the movie. She's just doing it and she's so good. <laughs> this is fantastic. If Clark could see me now. He- Clark, who's that, your boyfriend? Clark? Oh no, he's uh, nothing. He's nothing, he's dull. Dull, he's very mild-mannered, you know the type. I'm sure he's really very nice. And Christopher Reeve, like the story of finding him, and it's incredible when you think about how hard of all the superheroes, this is the hardest superhero to cast. And and it's not just because he wears the silliest outfit, but man. Yeah, because you can't really get around the the cape. You have a mask. With Batman, certainly there's an element of armor. There are all of these things that can sort of add to it. You can love the coolness sort of around it, and the actor can kind of sort of recede into that. Whereas with this, partially because the face is wide open, partially because- um, The yellow belt. The yellow belt. (laughs) The underpants over the tights. That's a wrestling thing. The booties. The The wrestling, yeah. It's a little this wrestling. This costume has, uh, you yeah. know, has its origins, you know. But it works because of that tone that you're talking about. It also works because he is so not only handsome, but yeah. he sort of radiates decency. Never met the decency and sort of open-hearted goodness. Yes. And he is the best very of sort America. Of light on his feet. And actually, I would love to see screen tests if oh they made God. them with like some of the other names of people <laughs> that they'd considered casting. Dustin Hoffman. For Did Superman, that, uh, that yes. one I had not seen. I had Did seen see Robert that? Redford. I had seen James Caan, Nick Nolte. Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. Steve McQueen. Al Pacino. What's going on? What have we got going on over here? <laughs> Get Luthor. Get Luthor. Luthor, what do you got? <laughs> um, Don't worry, miss. Robert Redford. I got you. Like, Redford would have been so obvious and yeah. bad. Like, I love Robert Redford. But, man, he would have been so wrong to be Superman. I can see him doing it, but you're absolutely right. It wouldn't have been- Yeah. This Chris the Reeve, same. man. He yeah. is so. I, I was trying to think of another. I don't think I could think of another superhero movie where you have to find this thing. And there's a there's a really interesting featurette I encourage people to search out, which is all about the casting director trying to find Superman. And famously, it was so difficult that the producers finally settled on a strategy of like, we're going to just secure some big names elsewhere because they realized we're really not going to get a star to play Superman. Right. Like it's going to, that's not going to work per se. So we're going to get Brando, which was a huge deal at the time. Mm-hmm. But this is Brando in his, I hate acting and myself to such a degree that that every role acceptance <laughs> I hate was acting, like- acting, I hate myself, I, I hate, hate you. you. <laughs> I hate that- I will take this money yeah. that I'm going to hold you over a barrel for, but I'm going to take the money and the massive percentage of the back end of the film that he secured from the Salkinds, which is why they ended up firing him and not using him in right. Superman 2. Full Cast and Crew is brought to you by Chuckler. Chuckler features award-winning original web series from social media's funniest comedians, as well as the best stand-up comedy, parodies, fake commercials, and interviews with your favorite comedy writers and creators. Find us and like us on Facebook. Chuckler, original comedy, delivered daily. I read a thing where Brando, in this era of Brando's life, he's so self-hating, he so hated the profession that it was almost like everything that he took was like a performance art piece about lashing out at the industry. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you read his first two suggestions to Richard Donner were that, that Jor-El be a bagel yeah. and a, a, a talking book. I remembered it as like a donut and a suitcase. Yes, a suitcase. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, can I possibly take this money and not actually have to physically show up and be in the movie? Well, I, um, Richard Donner was being interviewed and he was telling that story. Yeah. And uh, 
the interviewer was like, so what was his reasoning? What was he like? <laughs> Look, uh, Marlon Brando, you know, he was great when he worked. He was great. But, but, but he, if he could get out of working. He would do it. He would. Yeah. And if he could make it a voiceover coming out of a donut. We should do Island of Dr. Moreau. I mean, have you heard the stories of that? I think That's so. the one with the crazy documentary by um, um, Doc About. Have you seen this? I've seen The Island of Dr. Moreau. Have you seen Lost Soul, The Doomed Journey yeah. of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau? Brilliant, brilliant transfixing documentary, um, which is about Richard Stanley, who's a fascinating person, uh, having this movie taken from him and how he <laughs> snuck back onto the set and conspired to try and like literally blow up the set and the production. Um, and it just has some amazing anecdotes. Well, anyway, yeah, the, the stories of Brando on Island of Dr. Moreau make the yeah. suggestion of can I be played by a donut or a suitcase look <laughs> like brilliant acting choices because by the time 1996 came around, Brando was so far beyond even where he was on Superman, he's, he had, he's he actually like own, Superman. He could turn in a good performance. He had gone down the he had the, gone so the far river down. like Kurtz yes. had in and Apocalypse Now. And his suggestions now. are uh, incredible. But in Superman, man, he's still he's still that Brando good. And that's another thing that I think is so missing in the Lester cut is you have no Brando, mm -hmm. and so you have his presence replaced in, in in such key moments of storytelling. That, to me, alone is such a huge part of the myth and the story, and it actually is part of the sense that everything makes. The reason Superman gets his powers back is yeah, not through- cut, it did not make sense. It doesn't make sense because they didn't have the Brando- He just hitchhikes back to the North Pole. Yes. Which- <laughs> I mean, this, I don't want to get into like just mocking the well, movie look, territory. In the Donner Cut, he still hitches, hitchhikes his back to the North Pole and goes to the to the to the Ice Palace or whatever they call it, the Fortress of Solitude. Sorry, Fortress of Solitude. Sorry, nerds. But in the Donner Cut, okay, he has the crisis of conscience and he's there crying. Now remember, he's destroyed the little podium where the learning takes place when he was there with Lois Lane. Okay, in mm -hmm. the in both cuts, he had previously destroyed that and, and renounced his powers. Right. However. When he goes back and he says, you know, father, I failed, the, the whole point, and this is what this is what gets me exercised about it, is like Brando appears and right. and says, I I I prophesied this very moment. And th there's enough of my energy left to fix you and allow you to fulfill the prophecy. In the lesser movie, he goes back. And he's despondent. And oh, look, there's a, a luminescent green crystal over here. Maybe I'll just pick that up and put it in the middle and everything is good. Mm -hmm. In the opening sequence, sentencing Zod and his hench people, you have Brando right, so again there uh, in the Donner Cut, which you don't have How different is that from, the motion, from Superman, the motion picture? You know, what it is, is that it's a sensible laying out of the conflict between Zod, Kal-El, and Jor-El, mm -hmm. because- Brando is 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 explaining what they've done and why they're being sentenced. Well, in the Lester cut, it's it's nonsense. They they <laughs> they start on some poor guard who's just sort of sitting right. there. Then Non comes up, yeah. kills him, and then it's as if who's Kirk the worst Donovan character in, the, in in these movies, by the way. I mean, 
Well, here's Jack O'Halloran, I mean, I just kept waiting for um, Richard Keel to show up and do a really good right. job in that part, as opposed to this ripoff, low-budget, poor man's Richard Keel. Um, I will have you know, however, that Richard O'Halloran did turn down- Jack O'Halloran? Jack O'Halloran, rather. He Jack turned O'Halloran down Jaws? He turned down Jaws, according to him. Why? Because he didn't want to be typecast? <laughs> Jack, I hate to break it to you, buddy. <laughs> Give me a break. But yeah, he comes in. They kill this poor guard. Krypton just sort of lets this poor guard die and then is like, aha, we've got you. Alert, alert, alert. You three criminals have been caught in a further act of seditious treason. And then sentences them to the Phantom Zone yep. as designed by Pink Floyd. Like that's to yeah. me. <laughs> it <laughs> looks floating like, mirror, you know. Yeah, it looks like a, a commercial like for Dark money. Side of the Moon. Yeah, I mean, one of the big drawbacks in Superman 2, spend a little more time on the villains. I mean, there's no purpose or reason given because we don't have the Brando scene at the top. The, the three of them, I don't know what they're doing. I don't think they know what they're doing. I mean, taking over the world, I guess, without even an awareness. Do you, oh, by the way, did you notice that Ursa's voice is dubbed? No. No? What? Yeah. I didn't notice that. Yeah, in most of the Lester-directed scenes, Ursa's voice is dubbed by Annie Ross, who would go on to play Vera Webster in Superman 3. She's she's like got some interesting things going yeah. on. Her fascination with ripping badges off people and putting yeah. them on her, yeah. I love that. Why not increase his handicap? Since he cares so much for these Earth creatures, let us take his favorite. She would have been a much more compelling main villain than Terrence Stamp. And she's got that, like, like that look. Yeah, those, the, Terrence Stamp just like yells Zod a lot. And also the way that they get released and then sort of make their yes. way to the moon. First of all, like, uh, that whole moon stuff, I don't know physics, like, super well, but, like, uh, yeah. when everybody like explosions else- on the moon? <laughs> I Googled that. Yeah, that that's not right. But I think the first like establishing shot of the moon, you see like some of the, the again, like high school musical yes, level yes. of like, I'm yeah. walking like this because there's no gravity. And then she trudges up. And the fact that like gravity isn't affecting her and she's walking normally mm-hmm. while the yeah. guy in the space, I couldn't tell if that was like made her scarier or- Oh yeah, I think it makes her scarier. Yeah, they are immune know. to the laws of- the universe. But they shouldn't be is is the thing, I guess. The thing about Kryptonians, on Krypton, there's a red sun and yeah. they sort of like, like you sure, or they I. Need that. They, like plants, they- They, they, they don't realize when they, it's when they go to a different planet, they're like, yeah. hey, like gravity and everything's yeah. different. And like, now I can do all this stuff. Yeah. But that, they, they're discovering that on earth. But once they're on the moon, they actually seem to be uh, already actually pretty adept yeah. with um, flying. Well, well come to think of it, Chris, I mean, flying vast- Distances is not the as a human body is not the most efficient way to get from point A to point B. Really, when they are traveling and they have Lois Lane, when Lois Lane mm-hmm. is on Nan's back, and I think, um, are they bringing Luther? Who are and they? Luther, they're yeah. bringing Lois and Luther to the Fortress, the of, Fortress Solitude. of Solitude, and they're flying there. Yeah, I was just sort of laughing at the sequence, just thinking like, God, I mean, if they're really that all powerful, can they just like? Non, can they just like? I gotta go to the bathroom. Can they just like <laughs> drop down and like? Like apparate to uh, to the location. Well, no, no. They flying can't. with their arms out. Yes, that's that's what it. Everybody's got their limits, and that I will say that is one thing that I did not like about this movie was uh, the, all the powers were laser able to find. First of all. It's heat vision. And why does the heat vision then actually turn into telekinesis? And like Zod uses wow. it to bring a gun sure. over to him. That's a 
just a different well, power. Oh, okay. And then Superman throws Chris, like a cellophane. You're S. a Richard Donner guy, and you don't know it. That's verisimilitude. Oh. You're talking about verisimilitude. Absolutely. Oh, I definitely know but see, that. That's, to your point earlier, that's the kind of thing that would would seem silly to take seriously in a movie of this sort, but not really, because no. when you're putting this on the screen, like that's the kind of thing that as a viewer you end up appreciating if it makes the world has to make sense yes, unto itself. Absolutely. It's that's why I'm a big the fan rules of the Batman. That you set up the, on its own the and new Batman movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's something that I wanted to ask because when reading about it, apparently the Superman turning back time by flying around the yes. world backwards, which I'm assuming works, um, that that was originally the ending for Superman 2, that they retrofitted oh, really? and changed. And that's why they do it in both? Does it happen? Well, in it both? happens in the Because I understand version. that yeah. that when they called off the shooting of Superman 2 so they could finish Superman 1, yes. I think they rushed it. They used that as the end. Oh, maybe. And then- I don't know what he would have done if he had finished Superman 2, because I'm yeah. sure he would not he have wanted to repeat else. himself. It is one of the flaws, I guess, of the Donner cut that, you know, the ending of the movie is, is, is as you said, it's the same ending yeah. as, well, it's the same device. I mean, probably the shot of Superman spinning the world backwards is literally the same right. shot. But but prior to that is such a poignant moment that's missing from the Lester cut, which is the scene between Superman and Lois Lane after the 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 Zod you know is disp- Zod people are dispatched again, and in the Donner cut it's funny because they kind of leave Luther like dangling like no one really knows like right. there's no mention of him, and I guess the implication is he's in the fortress as Superman destroys it from afar, but in the Donner cut, wait now I'm getting my cuts confused no no it's in the Lester cut there's a line of dialogue inserted as Superman and Lois are flying away. From the Fortress of Solitude, you can hear, you can hear Luther say something like, "Hey, are you leaving me here?" Right? Mm-hmm. Did you hear yeah, that? Something, yeah, something like that. But in the Donner Cut, they don't do that. Yeah. I think the implication is Luther has been killed in the in the fortress, but they just leave it in that comic book way. We don't want any bodies to accrue. Again, I, guess. I don't know which cut or where. Apparently, I heard mention of something where there's like the Snow Patrol comes. Yeah, and that picks wasn't up shot. Him. I guess that wasn't shot. I thought it was, was it shot? that it was shown like when they would show it on TV or something uh, like that. Maybe the that's in the version. international cut. Something like, yeah, like okay, that. You're right. And you're right. because I was also thinking, you know, there's a lot of Zack Snyder haters who yeah. hated in Man of Steel that mm-hmm. uh, Zod, spoiler alert is for 2005's yeah. uh, Man yeah. of Steel or 2000 whatever's. Uh, no, he kills him. Yeah. And in this, <laughs> Superman is quite yes. glibly kills yes. uh, quite. Uh, well, he doesn't kill him. He just knocks him off an ice cliff. Yeah. Hey, what happens when they hit the ground? That is wow. not my concern. Yeah. Uh, but I'm yeah. just saying he's not, there's no killing of that way. I mean, I'm, it's left very. I think there's strong implication. Of course there's an implication. That Lois murders. You don't see a body. Lois murders Ursa. Uh, no body, no crime, Chris. <laughs> okay. That's why he destroyed well, anyway, the force, Fortress of Solitude. Well, so nobody would, would find him. He comes back and just drops her off on her balcony and that's it. Normal yeah. at work, and then whatever. they see each other at work, and then he no. kisses her to make her forget, and then and she that, does like that. She must does be some kiss, I guess so. That's yeah. the Lester version ending. Yeah, in the Donner ending, they realize they can't be together. What are we going to do? And it's that tension which causes Superman to turn time back, oh. and and he's doing it so, so that she doesn't know this thing that's going to prevent her from falling in love with someone. In the Donner cut, does he still defeat the uh, Kryptonians? Yes. In in the in, a, same, in the same way, same way, same thing. The reality of their relationship when she knows that he's Superman, 
it puts her in this very difficult predicament right. where she's in love with a person that she understands she has to share with the whole world and she can't share the things she knows about him with the whole right. world and they're driven apart and what are you going to do? Well, the answer to it is if he turns the world back and time goes back, she doesn't know that and they can resume that cat and mouse kind of relationship in the office. Jeepers, I have seen some far away looks in my time, but my goodness, with that look, you might as well be on the North Pole or someplace. The North Pole? No, that's too silly. Did you, did you ever feel like you knew something that was so important that... Whoops. No, you never did. I mean, I feel like I'm sitting on the single most important story of my career... And I can't remember what it is. That is a morally suspect choice, don't you think? I mean, for Superman's a, part, for Superman, on Superman's part, and obviously the the construct of well, the he's doing it out of love. Pretty, sure, for her. sure, absolutely. What's he supposed to do? Let her pine in misery the rest of her life? I don't know. I mean, with a secret, he, did he with ask a burden? her? They just do, Chris. They don't stop to ask. Which is uh, a, a morally dubious <laughs> It's a morally proposition. dubious proposition, yes. Uh, it's true. You're true, yeah. And now, on the other hand, there is something pretty unique uh, about Superman, as opposed to, let's say, Batman or Spider-Man, mm -hmm. where Clark Kent is the disguise. Yes. He is really Superman. Yes. As opposed yeah. to Bruce Wayne, who puts on, again, spoiler alert for those of you who don't know Batman. Uh, <laughs> that's Batman's spoiler alert. Anthony. <laughs> Those other superheroes put on the mask yes. to become something else, yes. whereas he is sort of um, sublimating something in order to blend in. Yes. I read that. What's what's the point of that that separates it from the others? Like, why well, is that Well, because an I think point? if you're a human who decides, like, I'm going to break conventional morality for what I think is the greater good, you think you're better than everybody else. There's That's the sort of Nietzschean Superman okay. idea of, like, conventional morality, like, will catch yeah. up with me. I am doing this thing that is more important you know that that's that's a sort of tension in in Batman, and I think more okay. more interesting superheroes are never quite uh, comfortable with that. Sure, but I mean, but that's the implied. Reluctant mantle. There's got to be a certain amount of, if not reluctance, uh, avoidance. <laughs> maybe mm -hmm. is a better word. Something like that, or just not thinking about it, which is, I think right. was Spider Man. Like they're not, you're not looking for trouble. It's not that they're not looking for trouble. They're like. I'm just trying to do good. I want yeah, to make the yeah. world a better place. Sometimes you make mistakes and you realize like, oh my gosh, I am kind of abrogating somebody else's civil rights or I've made a mistake. Mm -hmm. This, you know, but somebody like Spider-Man and this again was the innovation about him was a young kid. Didn't sort of think of that. There was the simplicity yeah. of that. But with Superman, because he is an alien coming from somewhere else, he is trying to take on that morality, but he yes. is actually coming from a different place and does have different powers. I, again, I don't think that that absolves him of responsibility, mm -hmm. but I think it does put him in a different moral and ethical situation. Sure. And this is one of the things that makes Luthor a potentially interesting villain is that's what he recognizes. He's like, yes. you're an alien. Yeah. You you know, we can't trust you. You could do all these things. You <laughs> yeah. say you're nice, but you could at, right, at right. any point. And there's you know, an element of truth to that. And there's an element yes. of truth to that. Right. And that's a tension that, you know, can, you know, people complain about Superman not being an interesting character because he has so many uh He's powers. so morally he's so, upstanding. Well, and, not oh, no, he's he's because he can't be destroyed. Because yeah. he can't be destroyed. Like, where's right. the tension in that? Yeah. But the tension is- Within in, Superman. Within Superman. Yeah. And within, and I think you put it so well, the, the sort you. of four parts of Lois and Superman. Yes. Uh, the Clark Kent- yep. Uh, Lois that's Lane. the tension. There's so much drama that can that can be mined in that, and those are the things that sort of make him. Such Let me a, ask you such a, a, a Superman um, uh, continuity question. Okay, yeah. aren't we led to believe that Superman, in order to do Superman-like things, needs to wear the costume? Mm -mm. Well, 
then why have the costume? Because at the end of this movie, mm-hmm. he was, but he goes back to the diner. And even though he's in his everyday clothes, the guy tries to punch him. And of course, he breaks his hand because right. trying to punch Superman is like punching a brick wall. Right. But if that's the case, why does he need to wear the outfit? Like, if the outfit isn't the reason for the powers, why change into the outfit? He, it's him taking on an identity for people to look up to and see as a symbol of hope and somebody that they'll trust. And Right, but to your point, he's not taking on an identity. That is his identity. Well, you know, he is So I guess it's the character. shedding of the disguise. It's not so – when I'm reacting, it's like, well, wait a minute. If he doesn't need to wear the suit in order to have the powers, why, why have these moments where he's got to change into the suit in order to rescue somebody? That's part of the Superman thing. Right. He's, he's looking for a place to change. Absolutely. And, and, and he his doesn't attention, change, he can't Clark, get to the thing. Then Clark Kent goes away. Oh, okay. Because if he's in regular civilian clothes. Say, hey, that's Clark Kent, a guy I've never seen before and could pick <laughs> out of a crowd. I guess Somebody that's the might, idea. If, if, I guess his that's friend, the, the journalist, okay, Lois Lane. Okay, I what you're saying. Though that thing with the beating up the senior citizen in the diner uh, – <laughs> What do you mean the senior citizen? The guy who's picking on him? The guy who's picking on him did he's not- a senior citizen. He looked a lot older than should be just sort of like he's a bully a at a diner. He's an angry trucker. He was definitely angry. Uh, but that was also, again- Wow, I would love to see Chris's 2019 <laughs> uh, politically correct superhero movie, Consent Man. <laughs> Sir, I am about to use intrusive force. Yeah, well, I mean, look, that guy was, you know, you even though he did pay me. for the destruction to the diner, like- With a fistful of $1 well, yeah. and $10 bills, by the way. <laughs> Thanks, would, buddy. But I wish the counter guy back. Uh, why yeah. don't you take him outside? Other people don't see it. He's True. making an example of the yeah. guy. This order's to go. I'm uh, terribly sorry about all the damage, sir. But Which in that, that case, seems to be like wait, that is, in that case, why to your point, in that case, why is it okay to be dressed like Clark Kent and do superhumanish things? Why is it okay? I mean, why is it okay? I guess that? what I'm arguing is I don't think it's okay. And I do put that on Richard Lester. Like, that's not a nice thing to do. Like Yeah, but that scene is also in the Donner version. Well, then I'm trying put to that remember, on Richard Donner too. Wait, that scene is a coda to after he loses his powers, after he gives up his powers, something which, again, you know, not to yeah. be too snowflakey about it, but like he should have discussed that with Lois. And actually- he's giving up his power? Yeah. Why? What because business is it of hers? I, that relationship he's, he's moves giving up awfully the, fast. He's giving up the powers in order to be with her. I understand that, but you know they hadn't really talked about being together in that way. Oh, they're like, in that love. Is a, that is a huge commitment. Oh my God. And first of all, it's also a little bit strange that like <laughs> as soon as they confess their love to each other, he goes to like watch videos of his mother- <laughs> Paging Dr. Yeah, Freud. Exactly. I'm going to go put on something more comfortable. And he's like, okay, well, while I'm waiting, I'm going to look at old <laughs> watch video videos of my, of my mom. That really gets <laughs> to me in get the mood. get in the mood. Um, well, well, no, but. <laughs> yeah, Chris, it's hard to put, you know, 2018 relationship mores onto Superman and Lois Lane. I suppose, yes, that is that um, is true. It's a cartoon, comic book romance. They're in love. He wants to be with her. Um, he gives up his, he renounces his powers in order to be with her. And then I, that to me, that's the point is that at the end, that's why it's poignant to me, if I can use that word about a movie, about a guy in tights flying around, <laughs> it's poignant to me at the end of the Donner version, where it's the powers that allow him to set her free from the trap of their love. Yes. If he didn't have the powers, there wouldn't be the trap because he wouldn't be Superman. But if he wasn't Superman, the world would be controlled by General Zod. So he has to become Superman to save the world. And sacrifice the and thing sacrifice that he loves. the thing and, he yeah. loves. But in a way, 
he bears the burden when he turns time back and Lois has no memory of- Because he their, still does have the memory. He still does have the memory. He has to live with the knowledge that she loved him, mm-hmm. right? So presumably she would still have the crush on Superman that she has throughout the first two mm-hmm. movies. And there's a thing in the vignette in the in the the making of film- that we watched where she's talking about how she plays the two different roles. And when she's around Superman, she sort of plays this like klutzy, bashful, start love struck teen. And then when she's around Clark, she's like really brassy and right. kind of rolls over him and, and is so much more confident and funny. And that's, what's great about her as an actor in this movie is she can do both of those things so well. And on, you know, the, the the Brando contract is fascinating to me because the Salkinds were sued by so many different people. I mean, right. it just seemed like their MO was kind of fascinating. They seemed like they'd be pretty interesting uh, right. subject for a documentary because of their MO, you know, which was to buy a brand name product and hire some big names and make a crappy movie out of it, as I saw written in one thing. <laughs> um, examples cited were Bluebeard with Richard Burton in 72, Santa Claus with Dudley Moore. Christopher Columbus, The Discovery with Brando in 92. I haven't seen that. Whoa, really? Yes. Supergirl. Well, because Brando, I guess the things got Brando patched up between her and uh, yeah, he <laughs> between him and Brando. More. Uh, Supergirl with Faye Dunaway and Peter O'Toole in 1984. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And never Helen Slater. Never I never saw, saw it either, but. Helen Slater. I loved her. She played Supergirl. Yeah. She was great. Loved what Helen she, Slater. She was great. What else has she done? Oh, she was in, um, she was in uh, that Michael J. Fox um, movie, either Doc Hollywood or How I Made My Million or Secret of My Success. Secret of My Success. Um, she was like in, in those 80s right. movies. Um, but the Brando contract, you know, is the most infamous movie contract of all time because he was paid $3.9 million for 12 days of work, plus the back end participation, mm-hmm. which was, I can't remember what the piece was. Um, well, apparently that's why they fired him from the movie was because if he wasn't in Superman 2, then they felt they didn't owe him the percentage of the gross that they would have. But he sued them for $50 million. Obviously, they must have settled if he was in this right. 1992 movie. Um, here's some more verisimilitude for you. And Richard Donner in his house has a sign of Superman, and on Superman's cape, it yes. says verisimilitude. The nuke at mm-hmm. the end of one... The, nu- the nuclear weapon that detonates? Yes. That's what frees the Zod gang to wreak havoc in two. Right. So that's not explained in the Lester movie. Well, in the Lester one, it's the nuke that Richard that- Griffiths- <laughs> Richard Griffiths. <laughs> Why? First of all, the, that was so great. I was like, that was like, so that's great. Richard Griffiths. Exactly. But who, wait, who are these like British terrorists, terrorists. taking over the yes. Apple Tower who got their hands on a, on a nuclear, hydrogen bomb or yeah, nuclear, nuclear bomb? nuclear weapon. I mean, uh, that's your boy Richard Lester right there. Oh, who cares if it makes sense? That's what I think he sounds like. Oh, let's Probably. just have some jolly fun. Let's look considering the accents because also the like the French, um, yes, the French the official French, who yeah. comes out. Uh, he Madame. sounds like Paul Prudhomme. Yes, uh, and then oh, poor Paul Prudhomme. I feel bad. I think of him worrying about it in his little cart. Oh God, it's heartbreaking. Oh, boy, you, anyway, I'm sorry to bring you down. Jeez, do you know any other famous Cajuns that I can substitute? But again, uh, that's part of the problem I have, Chris. Is like. The only reason the nuclear Eiffel Tower scene exists is to create a reason for the Zod gang to be broken out of their glass pane. Yeah. But we already have a reason at the end of movie one. Yeah. A nuclear weapon was detonated yeah. in the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, 
I'm at a loss to understand why not just connect those two the way it is in the Donner cut. I know we have a completely plausible, well, like you canonical said, he had to reshoot, story beat. He had to reshoot all sorts of stuff in order to get he <laughs> So we're like, get paid. Well, we need a nuclear bomb to go off. How do we get there? It's like, I got you. I got you. Eiffel I got, I thought about this. Three British terrorists got a nuclear bomb. At the Eiffel. I kept thinking it was the monkeys because one of them looked like Michael Nesmith and they're wearing those like white overcoat suits that I think the monkeys wear in some video that I recall I'm half-heartedly sure. from they my childhood. A lot of, uh, yeah, they so I kind of thought like, I kept feeling like it was the monkeys or like a Benny Hill sketch. I think it's also one of them, I think it might have been, been Richard no, do not have a glass eye, but was wearing like those um, rectangular framed sunglasses uh, that like used to be sure, 60s ish. Mod. Mod, yes. Mod 60s. Full cast and crew is brought to you by Behemoth from Monkey Brain Comics. Behemoth is the dirty dozen meets the fly with little Spider Man thrown in. Kids are turning into monsters and the government steps in to keep things quiet. Some are never heard from again but others are forced on suicide missions on behalf of a world that hates them as part of Project Behemoth. Find it on monkeybraincomics.com or Comixology today. That guy who plays Perry White, that's um, that's not... That's Jackie Cooper. Why is he famous? Or Jackie Coogan. No, Cooper. You're right. Jackie Cooper. He's like one of the little rascals. Oh, is that what he is? Yeah. I was looking at the credits. He's spanky. No, he's... Uh... He's one of the little rascals. Man. I was looking at the credits and I was sort of surprised. I was like, with Jackie Cooper. I was like, who's, why should we care about him? He was, he was in our gang, man. But which one was he? He was uh, one gang's major characters. Uh, Miss Crabtree, played by June Marlowe. Uh, yeah, uh, Skippy? Mar- Skippy. No. Hold on. Our gang. I can't believe we're going to digress to our gang. Apologies. <laughs> this look. This, this is, is the a, whole reason that this is this, uh, is it? this exists. Um, I think he's Jackie. Like Stimey, Are each of these shorts chubby? I think it's Jackie. Oh no, that's his. Oh, you know what? Who cares? Who cares? Uh, anyway, I do want to go. Cooper. He's go great. Down his, uh, yeah, he was great. He's he's a he's great in the. I mean, you know, I love newspaper movies. He's perfectly cast as yeah. the charging. As White. Yeah. Parrot, you know, he's great. And I did, you know, as I as I said. Before, Although I always I do, do like the Perry White. The isn't Perry White in the comic book? He has like the dark hair with the white sideburns. Yeah, I love that. I wish they had done that. Well, you can't have everything. Say, I guess. Can't, yeah. <laughs> um, Jack O'Halloran, Valerie Perrine, Clifton James, Clifton James. I mean, he's literally like that built be- among alongside Christopher Reeve, Marlon Brando. But and also he's James playing the a- same thing. He's like that guy who's in um, Full Metal Jacket who just plays drill sergeants. Uh, R, uh, Lee Ermey. Lee. <laughs> M. Lee Ermey, R. Lee Ermey, Whatever. F. Lee Ermey. <laughs> you might be thinking of F. Lee Bailey. Clifton James. Uh, was he the sheriff in- um, I think in uh, Cool Hand Luke. And then the sheriff- Was in he in Cool Hand J- Luke? I got to stop shooting my mouth off. Let me see. Yeah, he was. He was Carr in Cool Hand Luke. Uh, I was going to say, was he in like, um, what's those ones with Burt Reynolds in the car? Smokey and the Bandit? Yeah. Uh, no, that was uh, Jackie Gleason. Oh, I suppose right. he could have been yeah. second banana sheriff. Going back to, yeah, Clifton James apparently was a huge star. <laughs> Man, he had one hell of an agent. Whoever Clifton yeah, James' I'm- agent was, who was like, look, you can have my guy. He can play this scene for you. But- he needs to be billed alongside Marlon Brando yeah. and Gene Hackman. <laughs> and man, he got it done. Wow. 
Incredible. Also, you, know, you brought it. Whatever you know, that it is. The other thing that we mentioned, you know, Anthony Cher. Yes, as the bellboy, it was so good. Uh, is this your first visit to Honeymoon Haven? Uh huh. Together, anyway. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, let me just show you some of our special features. These are our flames of love, exclusive with this motel in the area. If you want the flames to go high, you just pull this. I see. And here's the bed. Right. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Oh, of course. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. And have a happy whatever. Talk about a nothing role on paper that he makes something out of. Yes. It's just with the chewing the gum and the putting That's the hand out it. for the tip. And it's just the bad accent. I mean, I loved it. I thought he was great. The more I think about it, the more hacky this movie is. From including Clifton hey. James and a bit James and a bit of stunt casting to going to Niagara Falls for the honeymoon. Sure. Uh, I did love that. Like this is the story that they were assigned. Yes, this scam of how they're scamming these people. <laughs> and they, they book a room and then they got the nerve to charge them for all the amenities all they the actually the use. Photo album. Also, by the way, bad mom of the year, letting oh, your child God. play on the other that, side. Well, of I was the gonna fence. say that seemed like another bit. Of, that's a very Willy Wonka esque. Like here's another person who's telling everybody how to raise their kids. Son. Be careful. Get down. Get down. You me here in front of I mean, falls off. In obviously, the, you know. there is something wrong in this family, which you can see because then, of course, when he is when he does fall, she is just looking over, I guess, her husband's, let's hope, shoulder like at something else and like not and ignoring the kid, which is, of course, probably why yeah. the kid is doing that to begin with. Hey, mom. So if she were a better parent, Superman wouldn't have to get in. He wouldn't have to uh, do this kind of thing. You know, um, um, (laughs) another thing that's missing for me from the Lester cut is the John Williams music. Hey, this is Matt, the engineer. So if you've listened to our podcast before, you know that we don't have clearance to play any of the soundtrack. But if you don't recall what the Superman theme sounds like, go give it a listen and you'll be like, ah, it's that one. You know, John Williams did not do the music for two. Yeah. Although they use his theme, I believe, in the beginning and the end. Um, However, in the Donner cut, Apparently, Williams consented to let his music be intercut back into the movie in a way. So that's another element because, let's face it, it doesn't get more iconic yeah. than the Superman theme. I mean, it's a pretty freaking iconic movie theme. Yeah. Of the 30 iconic movie themes that John Williams happened to have just tossed <laughs> off in these decades. Hey, Matt the Engineer again. So John Williams has composed so many scores for movies that have had such a large impact on pop culture. Jaws, Star Wars, uh, Superman, E.T., Uh, Jurassic Park, all these iconic movies, Schindler's List, an insane list. One of his great traits is that he can convey the innocence of a character like a Luke Skywalker or a Superman or the, the humor of an Indiana Jones. And he uses major key melodies to do that, things that are very common that we're used to in pop music, but really implements those in a way that connects us to that character emotionally. Anyway, enough of my rambling about how awesome John Williams is as a composer. Here are the guys. Guy's got a good ear. I mean, geez. But I will say, you know, I, I, it's not that I didn't miss it. It's more that I guess it's so present in my mind. Yeah. I almost like. You, you hear it anyway. I hear it anyway. <laughs> um, 
So I want to more broadly in terms of Superman, Chris. Yes. I think we both share an appreciation for the Zack Snyder Superman movies, the much maligned Zack yes. Snyder Superman movies. I like them. I enjoy I the too. tone. I love the way they're filmed. I like Henry Cavill a lot. I know yes. a lot of people give you a lot of shit for that. Yeah, they're called jerks. Um, I mean, Christopher Reeve is Superman and always will be for all time. Like right. it's just, it's not a Batman role where there are many Batmans and there are there are many, many good Batmans and they all bring something to the role. Christopher Reeve, full stop, no one will ever embody the role as well as Christopher Reeve did. Yeah. Having said that, Henry Cavill, yes, okay, he doesn't have Christopher Reeve's innate lightness. He has a heaviness to him. But heaviness, Zack Snyder, hey, those two things Absolutely. work well together. And to his. me, I actually sort of like the contrast I because do. this I idea do. of Superman is so yeah. ingrained in us. And I think the yes. positivity is so there. Having somebody who's not naturally that, like yeah. I, I I liked it yeah. for that very for that um, reason. Sure. I, I think since those Batman movies, I've I haven't been moved by a superhero movie in quite the same way. Mm -hmm. um, although some of the Spider Mans did did accomplish that. Is Spider Man, it, Marvel or DC? Marvel. Okay. Um, so is Spider Man in the uh, the Captain Fantastic Planet Save the World Ten Superheroes with the Hawk guy, all that stuff? Is he part I of mean, that squad? If you're talking about the Avengers. Yeah, the and, Avengers, yes. that's what it's called. Is he in uh, that? Is well, he one of the Avengers? This was one of the things that Marvel did not have the rights to Spider-Man because they had sold them to Sony. Okay. And they came to some deal uh, so that in Captain America Civil War, which was the, I guess, the third Captain America movie, there was a big fight with a lot of superheroes in the end. And at that point- No, really? <laughs> How unique. <laughs> and Wait, when Spider-Man appeared Chris, in that, at the end of the movie, there was a misunderstanding that even though everybody who's they're on the same side, in a giant battle, even though they were all on the same side, well, they were even, rent asunder only to come together again and unite in the saving of the planet. Actually, no, no, Jason. No, 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 no. In this case, everybody knew which side they were on. Oh. They just had a genuine disagreement. They had a genuine disagreement oh, that only violence would solve. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. They were like, we got to arrest this we guy. Fight this and then out. they was like, I don't want to be arrested. <laughs> and uh, a wow. fight ensues. And let me guess, some people landed with their hand on cracking concrete and in a squat. And then they got up and they threw like fire and flames. And then another person was like, whoa, I got something over here. And then pulled out like a weird batarang. And then that cut them around. And then no then here comes like that's a the different thing. universe entirely. Like, blah, blah, Again, blah, the, the blah, thing is smash, crash. It's fantastic. And cool. then like some guy was going like, oh, you know, like a reaction shot. Like, did I see what I just thought I saw? I, I think reaction guy? shots you know? are, then, are pretty like, common. Flames, and then let's take so a moment here for a few jokes. And then at the end, there's like, oh my God, look, there's Spider-Man on top of the bus. Oh my mm. God, that's Tom Holland. He's the new Spider-Man. We just found that out for the first time. Oh, that's incredible. And then the credits run. No. Pretty much I described all nope. Marvel nope. Avenger movies in a nutshell. Well, again, this is this is a conversation that I don't know that we want to get into, not only because it would be long. Well, you maybe don't want to get into it. Oh, I, I would love to, actually. Because no, one of the things I was going to say about the, the this, this Superman movie, yeah. like, is this a comic book movie? Is it a superhero movie? Is it, you know, how would you- It's a comic book movie. You would say that. That's interesting. Yes. I think it embodies the spirit of comics. I actually don't think it embodies the spirit of the Superman comics per se, mm -hmm. because when I've read Superman comics, they're all pretty serious. Like they don't have this tone of this humor that is- 
no, the sort that we have in this tension, movie. No, but the tension, the earnestness of Clark Kent versus the sort of more yes. streetwise sophistication of yes. Lois, which is, I think, what lends itself to the screwball yes. stuff. I think that was always there. And in 1980, I guess it would have been 87 or 88, when John Byrne rebooted Superman and Man of Steel, again, it was not overly funny, but I think they did try to pitch it toward that, which is, I think, what then ended up leading to the creation of Lois and Clark, mm-hmm. the uh, television series, right. again, which which was like- con- moon- Sitcom. Not Rom-com. so much to say, uh, it'd be more like Moonlighting, but Moonlight. with- Great show. But with um, Great show. Superman and Lois Lane. Um, I think it's a comic book movie for that reason. It's mm-hmm. a pastiche, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, superhero movie, yes, it is that Certainly, too. Certainly, yeah. Um, but to me, first and foremost- the essential silliness and seriousness. Those mm-hmm. that's to me is that's the comic book aspect. It's like it doesn't take itself to, doesn't take itself too seriously, mm-hmm. but it takes the characters seriously. So, what would you? How would you classify or what genre would you put the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy? Not comic book movies. Mm-hmm. Almost not even a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. I think those are. Those are just really good movies mm-hmm. to me that happen to be in this genre. Mm-hmm. Like I think they have, I think the caliber of everything in the Nolan Batman movies is so far above the typical caliber of anything else that tends to be in most of these movies. Right. From in writing, acting, effects, directing, editing, whatever you want, music. Mm-hmm. It's all at, at, a, at the highest level of the art form, and it's brought to bear on a genre picture, mm-hmm. but, it's, but it's a great piece of filmic storytelling, mm-hmm. first and mm-hmm. foremost. Whereas I probably unfairly lump pretty much all the Marvel, Avenger stuff, Iron Man into a third bucket that I don't respect as much in terms mm-hmm. of the craft of all the, those elements. Did you see Zack Snyder's Watchmen? Yes. And where would you put that in there? Well, my reaction to Watchmen was something that I really wanted to love a lot because I loved the take. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually something that I did read, you know, mm-hmm. long before ever seeing the movie. So I had some familiarity with it. As a movie, I can't say that it really works. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little baggy and it's a little sort of, it has some incredible parts that really do work. And I love the take of the fucked up superheroes mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. I love the design of it and the throwaway stuff like the magazine, the newspaper headlines and stuff on newspapers blowing around. And and I loved a lot of that stuff, but it just it wasn't, didn't come together. The, yeah. the, the sums did not equal a greater whole right. for whatever reason. Right. The, the reason work. I ask is because, you know, because I've seen all of these and I love comic books and I love superheroes, and I, but I'm, I think people often are lumping them all together in ways that aren't yes. always right because I think something like The Watchmen, which is an yeah. adaptation of a very specific story, is a very different kind of project yes. than Christopher Nolan's Batman sure. movie, which I think you're absolutely right. Like, it's a good movie telling a story yeah. where it's treating the character like like a character as yes. opposed to a piece of IP. Right. And um, the yeah. Richard Donner Superman movies yeah. are more like uh, um, yeah. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. We're making Spider-Man's, a superhero movie. Where it is, but it's also, it's very much trying to find the balance of trying yes. to 
create a look that is similar to yes. a comic book, which is something that I don't think that the Marvel movies do tend to do. Except for um, the Taika Waititi movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. That's probably that was a the look that of way. a that had the look of a of a classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it had the very much had sort of a, a Steve a Kirby Ditko or Kirby, which one? Jack Kirby esque Jack Kirby, uh, yeah. design. Absolutely, right. that's true. Though, the, what was that movie was called again? A film, uh, Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok. Yes. See, like that was the first. Like I liked that movie. Yeah. But I didn't like it as much as I like Superman one mm-hmm. or the Sam Raimi Spider-Man's first couple Sam Raimi Spider-Man's. partially it might also have to do with, you know, where technology makes yeah. in some ways, some things are so easy to do that you yeah. kind of lose some of the inventiveness yeah. that somebody like Richard Donner or uh, Sam Raimi or yeah. Christopher Nolan. Well, look, there's a lot of good oh, things we'll about say. Superman, but I mean, let's not, let's not pretend the effects are one of them. Well, you know, everybody was They're in, pretty tough for their time. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. 2000, I don't know. 2001 came out in 1968. It's pretty believable. Uh, Did a man space fly? movie. I mean, um, yeah, there's men flying in space all over the movie. They're floating. They're floating. But that's what you do in space. You I float. guess unless you're- You don't fly. You don't fly unless you're unless you're a, um, wherever Spider-Man's from, Superman rather. <laughs> Where's he from again? Superman's from- Krypton. Krypton. Krypton yeah. Although they keep calling it Krypton, which- <laughs> Krypton. Uh, which I thought was maybe because there were so many British people, but then he's when British. Marlon Brando was doing Krypton. it- Krypton. Planet Krypton. Well, Brando's regular speaking voice is like- 30% British, <laughs> British affected, right? I don't know that I've seen Superman 3, which I believe Margot Kidder's not even in. I don't know. What's the story of Superman 3? Well, you know who oh, is it's Richard Superman Pryor. Is Richard Pryor. And I think, what's his name from uh, Man From Uncle? Vaughn? Oh, Robert, Robert Vaughn. Vaughn. I know I saw it in the theaters and it, is it scared me so much because there is one spoiler for a 30-year-old mm-hmm. movie. Richard Pryor plays like, like a computer a, a programmer computer program or something. Genius, yeah. Some woman ends up like falling in the computer and like the computer and she graphed. And I'm sure if I were to watch it now, it would look It scared like, the hell out of you at the time. It scared me so much that I- It's I like the man-faced dog in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the Donald Sutherland version. Uh, which I've, I've never That's seen. That's a terrifying image. And then uh, they made was Superman 4. Well, Superman 4, that was a huge heartbreak for Christopher Reeve. He had written a script that he thought was great, that everybody thought was great. And in order to get it made, getting the money, getting it produced, you know, there's what you want to do versus what you can do. And all of the compromises that were being made between the beginning of that journey and where it ended up apparently broke him because he, you know, he had this very earnest world peace mm-hmm. vision thing mm-hmm. that he wanted to get out there. And what did it end up being? It ended up being, what, from my, I have not seen it uh, because I was at summer camp. Is it, it involved whales? No, you're thinking of Star Trek Four. Oh. The, which was <laughs> but I bet great. You- this had Nuclear Man. Uh, Is that really his name? That was the name of the character. So it was like an anti-nukes. It was an anti-nukes world We're going to destroy the thing. And apparently it got really rewritten. And the the whole shoot every day would be worse and worse because every day another compromise. And you'd have to shoot a scene which he knew was not. Welcome to our lives, Chris. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean. Yeah, artistic purity is all great and everything, but you know we got to pay the bills at the end of the day. Listen, you're either Christopher you know? Reeve or you're Anilia Salkind. Well, Chris Reeve, man, can't say enough about him in this movie. Yeah. He was fantastic. Well, I think one of the marks of a person that I that I value is do they gain perspective as they go on in life? Right. In the featurette, it's obviously taken after Chris Reeve's tragic 
accident and he's in his wheelchair and he has the breathing device. He's talking about how serious he took Superman 1. Yeah. And Margot Kidder is saying like, we were suspended from the ceiling for 14 hours a day. She's like, I'm going to joke around. Right. But he was actually in character all the time. And he has a funny line where he says, I was 24. And I was deadly serious, emphasis on deadly. You know, and he's just, he has a sense of humor about himself that he did not have when he was making the movie, which right. is all the more kind of impressive that he is so light uh, yes. in the movies. Like, and the bumbling is so great to hear that it came from such intensity and he cared so deeply and wanted to believe that they all had to stay in these characters 24 seven. It's hilarious. Superman 1 deserved a much better movie than Superman 2. Mm -hmm. You know, we the audience deserved a much better movie, and there is a better movie that just wasn't allowed to exist. Right. I recommend the Donner Cut. I, I want you to watch the Donner Cut because I think you would really get a lot out of it. I think yeah. you would like it. Uh, it's worth just giving it a look through to think what could have been and what should have been. I'm finding as I get older, Chris, I can't watch a movie that doesn't work. So when I reached that one hour point, thank God there was the Donner <laughs> cut because otherwise, otherwise I was resigned. I was like, I'm just going to, this is going to be one where I'm going to say to Chris, like I watched the first hour and then I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. You know, but luckily I was like, okay, there was let me watch else. an entire yeah. other version of the movie. So basically I watched three and a half plus hours of Superman 2. That's a commitment I bring. And it shows. It shows. In I might not remember names. <laughs> Plots, or facts, facts details, words, commonly used phrases or terminology. I may not remember that stuff, Chris, but that's not what I'm here for. What I'm here for remains a mystery. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Full Cast and Crew. I uh, just wanted to remind everyone to subscribe if you haven't already. So you'll get a new episode every Thursday. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at fullcastandcrewpod at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at fullcastandcrew. Or find us on Facebook.